0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business Podcast. I'm Anthony Whitaker, and it's great to have you join us here. One of the things about podcasts that I really love is that you get to ask people questions that, in a social situation, would maybe be a little bit too intense, whereas on a podcast, they know that that's the very intention. Now, my guest today is someone I'm really intrigued to have this opportunity to talk to. She is Michaeline DeGioria. And not only is Michaeline the daughter of John Paul DeJoria, the co founder of John Paul Mitchell Systems, but amongst other things, she's also the vice chairman of the company. I loved having the opportunity to talk with Michaeline and to ask her questions about her life growing up with John Paul as your dad, the different roles that she's had in the company, the values that the company is built on, the importance of company culture, and even how she raises her three children, as well as the impact of COVID on the business. And we jumped all over the place, and she is every bit as charming and open and down to earth and intelligent as you might imagine her to be. So, without further ado, welcome to the show, Michaeline Joria.:
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. This is my very first podcast, so I'm wow. thrilled to be spending it with you. And- really?
0: Okay, that's fantastic. At... Well, I am honoured to uh, to have you on, Michaeline. is that that is a surprise. I would have thought you would have been an, an old pro at this. So I'm I'm honoured yeah. and privileged to be the the first one to have you on this show. So thank you. Thank okay, you. well, I was
1: honoured that you asked. No,
0: not at all. So, look, one of the things uh, that I love about podcasts is that you do get to ask people questions that you perhaps wouldn't normally be able to ask them because. It would just sort of be inappropriate to you know, sidle up to you and start getting all intense. So, um, I'm really looking forward to this. So, let, let's start with a quick overview of you and your background. Who is Michaeline, and what do you do in the company? Give us your, you know, your two or three-minute backstory and then we can dig in some more.
1: Got it. So, who am I? Number one thing that comes to my mind is I'm a mom. I have three kids. Michaeline, as you would say, has a 12 year old son, a 10 year old daughter, and a three year old son, just turned. Um, I'm wife to a lovely man named Nate. We've been together 15 years. And I am the vice chairman of John Paul Mitchell Systems. And within John Paul Mitchell Systems, of course, is Paul Mitchell, and Tree and Mitch, and Neuro, and all those good things. Um, Basically, what I do is I oversee all the different areas of the company. And what I mean by that is not that I'm micromanaging and checking in on every tiny thing that everybody's doing, but it's more just having a big picture understanding of what everyone's doing. I can frame that so that it's positioned to head to the direction that I see for the future of the company... And it's big picture, long-term thinking and strategy planning from um, infrastructure to product development to pricing changes. I like to be involved in all the different areas of the company so that I can have a really good working understanding of impact. Um, I think a lot of times leaders get caught up in um, being a little narrow-minded. And if you... I always use this example. If someone says to me, do you prefer the blue cap or the white cap? it's much easier for me to make an informed decision because I know what it's like to have that impact on the warehouse. I know how that's going to impact global. I know how that's going to impact R&D. So there's a lot that goes to making good decisions for the company. And I don't think you can make those unless you're involved in everything that's going on.
0: Yeah. And and that that's actually something I wanted to ask you about, because I understand that you've worked in every area of the company, Mm -hmm. like starting in that, starting in the warehouse. Is that right?
1: True. Yeah, it is true. I actually, if we're going to get technical, I started as a product tester, basically at birth, those little bottles that say tested by hairstylist should also say (laughs) tested by the kids. Um, No, I've been testing products since I was a baby. Um, I'd answer phones just for fun and help out when I'd go to the office. But my first real proper job in the office, I came in after college. And, you know, Dad and Luke were like, okay, so we can set you up and get you kind of integrated with everyone and let it organically go from there. And I said, before I get set up with that, it's absolutely a necessity to me that I spend time in every department, really understanding hands on what it looks like and what the experience is for our team. So I did. On my own insistence, I went and spent time in the warehouse. I spent time with purchasing. I spent time answering phones. Um, I spent actually a good amount of time answering phones. That gives you a lot more insight than you think it would on the communications piece, learning relationships, getting to know the faces in the office better, uh, marketing, advertising, sales, all of it. I went to every department. I touched every corner.
0: Was there a favorite job?
1: No, I loved them all, but I have to say, I am really biased to the warehouse crew. They know that because I'm like, you guys are like the silent heroes. Like we could not, no matter what we do, we could hit every mark. And without those guys, we really can't execute anything.
0: Yeah. So what you got right in there, like, you know, moving boxes mm-hmm. around picking and packing yeah. orders and you got right in there doing all that.
1: I did. I got in there. Yeah, I was good. like, let me see just physically, just the experience of, okay, when this order happens, we bend down, we pick up this box, we move it here, just little things like that. Thinking yeah, down the line, could there be a machine that could maybe help with this step? Cause now I know that this stuff exists because I've lived yeah, yeah. it, yeah. you know? little things like that.
0: Yeah How how did that mold you doing that? Like, you know, starting right at that level and then working through different departments. How has that sort of impacted on who you've become today?
1: Um, I think I've always been, I've always been a pretty grounded person. I've always, um, ego is just not a thing for me personally or professionally. I feel confident that anyone who works with me would tell you that. So I think just being able to, show that to everyone else was major. So to yeah. come in and say, I'm going to work with all of you and spend time and actually take the time to have conversations and ask questions and say, Oh, I don't know this word, or I don't understand this thing. Teach me because I'm here to serve you. Um, I think had a tremendous impact on my credibility as a leader of the company. And yeah. it also helps me be once again, just in better understanding of how my choices are affecting everyone. It's yeah. really easy for me to look at something and say, oh, that's so beautiful. That'll be the best choice because it's so pretty and I love it. But I, I don't know how that... I have to think about how that's going to affect the UK. I have to think about, is that something that's going to affect these guys over here? Mm. And just having that awareness of others is invaluable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Was that, do you think that'd be intimidating for people? Working with the boss's daughter, you know, the guys in the warehouse, whatever. I mean, how did you handle that? Because you you do have a a really nice way with people and you put people at ease. But, I mean, that must have been intimidating. Or don't you think like that? Were you not aware of that? Or or am I imagining something that doesn't exist?
1: No. Thank you for saying that I have a nice ease with people. That is very kind. Um, I kind of have imposter syndrome. I always have. I feel like it's still so funny to me, even having interviews and podcasts and things like that. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. Like they actually want to hear what I have to say about it. So I didn't feel that there would be an intimidation. But the logical part of me was very aware of the fact that, okay, this is the boss's kid coming in. Yeah, yeah. Am I, do I have to be more nervous, sharpen my pencils? Is she going to report everything? Like what's going to happen? So I tried to make that clear from the get-go. I'm like, I'm not here to do any of that. I'm really just here to learn so that I can serve you better. Mm. So I'm sure there was, but it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around it that it wasn't really, it wasn't part of my mind.
0: Yeah. I'm sure if it was there at the beginning that it very quickly disappeared, that they weren't intimidated when they got to know you a little bit. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's no secret that that JP's got many other businesses and and you could have worked in any of them. So why did you Mm -hmm. choose the hairdressing business? You know, the the product business?
1: Well, JPMS is really my heart. And John Paul would say the same thing for him. I mean, I was four. No, the company was four when I was born. So Mm -hmm. I've really grown up with the company too. And so many of our team members are like family to me. And before we had bigger offices, before we were super, super fancy, we were at the little office in Chatsworth. And I would go and kind of get babysat by everyone that worked there. Mm. So for me, like my I mean my heart was there. Like those were always just my people. And I do have some involvement in the other businesses, but I mean, JPMS is really where my heart is. And we owe everything to JPMS. If it hadn't been for what the hairdressers did and them taking a risk on John Paul and Angus. Yeah. You know, the rest is history because of that. We were able to start Patron because of that. We were able to invest in other areas because of that. Everything happened. Yeah. So we have had larger businesses. We have other more diverse businesses, but this is really where we're at. And I didn't even have to work at this one, but mm. I chose to, I said, I, I am choosing to come and do this job because I want to make sure that everyone here is taken care of forever. That's something that's important to me. And I think that's also a point of difference too as a leader. People know I don't have to be there working. Mm. It wasn't imposed upon me. It wasn't asked of me. I am there because I love them. I'm there because Mm. I care about the company and the industry so much that has done so much to us that I want to make sure we're in the best shape we can be for as long as possible. Yeah. And I think people appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. And
0: um, I'm right in assuming, I, I just want to make sure I don't make a mistake with this. You were the little girl in the iconic picture with yes. JP. Yeah, Baby, that don't is cry. You. Baby Don't Crush. Baby Don't Crush. That is it's a great yeah. picture. So you, you're there from like the beginning.
1: That is yeah, the and do you know the picture. story behind that picture? No, no. Okay. So it's actually really funny. I was not supposed to be at that photo shoot. I had just gotten 52 stitches in my chin, like a few days prior, I think. Wow. And so 52. Yes. This is what happens in the eighties when you say, Oh, it's the last block of the house. Just let me sit in the very, very back seat without a seatbelt on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So anyway, I cut my chin open stitches. I'm with my dad. He has to go to this shoot. I'm sitting there and he's playing with me you know, in between shoots. So we're playing with bubbles, and he's, you know, trying to get me to laugh and feel better. And as we were just messing around with bubbles, just as, you know, dad and daughter on the side, the photographer took some pictures of it. I, did, I don't even remember noticing that they were taking pictures. Um, but then at the end, when they sent over the all the little selects, they were like, and we got these great ones of you and Mikey. And he just loved it. He's like, we have to put that photo everywhere. It's so good. But it was a total accident. It was just, he was trying to make me feel better because I was stuck in a shoot with stitches.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, That is sometimes the way accident. the best images happen just accident yeah. uh, and it is an iconic image it's still as as relevant and gorgeous today as as anything else that the company's oh. ever done so it's, it's great to have Thank that yeah and, and i'm sure the model fees are very reasonable as well <laughs> yeah
1: i was like wait was this before like labor laws because i'm pretty yeah. sure i didn't get paid for that and it's still circulating <laughs>
0: that's yeah. okay <laughs> okay, well, um, I, I have a question I wanted to ask you about. I have a 19-year-old daughter. Her name is Indigo, and when she was about eight or nine, uh, we went to Greece on holiday. And when the cab, um, you know, from the airport, pulled up in front of the hotel that we were staying, and there was a there was a doorman there, and there was a red carpet, and there were these you know very imposing pillars, you know, leading to the entrance of the hotel. And you know, she was a little girl. She jumped out of 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 the cab. And she was so excited with this, you know, the red carpet and the doorman with the livery and the the, the pillars and everything. And she just screamed out. She said, we're rich on the top of her voice, you know. And, um, (laughs) you know, it it was just that innocence of youth, like looking at where we're staying. It was like something out of TV, you know. And, And, you know, that sort of leads into what I wanted to ask you about is that as a kid growing up, was there a moment for you? where you realized that your life was sort of different, that your dad was different you know, to, to, to the other kids at school, so to speak, and, and what sort of impact did that have on you? Was there, was there that moment in time where
1: something happened? It's a, it's a good question. I always remember just knowing that dad was different, but I never really – I didn't have a moment where I knew that our life was necessarily different, like our lifestyle I was very, you know, my dad was always very grounded. My mom is super grounded. My my mom had very different sets of rules for me um, than the other kids had because we had different moms, and so my mom was very much of the style. If there is going to be a chef at your house cooking dinner, my has to do the dishes after. If you are going to have housekeepers in your house, her room is the one that they can't go in and clean every day. So, I was kind of raised in a way where I. I couldn't really feed into the lifestyle too much because I think my parents really wanted me to know that a, it could just, it could go away any second and it doesn't really mean anything. What you're left with is the important stuff. So I was always pretty grounded in that way. But of course, you know, there are signs and indicators that your life is a little different. Like when you go to the airport, I remember once flying somewhere with dad and he, he, so many people had recognized him. And I remember thinking like, people know who dad is like, I mean, at (laughs) gathering, they know who dad is, but like outside of gathering, they do. Okay. Like that was interesting to me. I actually do remember that one moment going, dad's a little famous. Um, But growing up, I just always knew that dad was a little different from the other dads because he was just so nice all the time. And yeah. He was really positive and happy and like everyone loved him. And you see yeah. like the other dads at school and I mean, they were, I'm sure they were lovely, but you know, John Paul walks into a room and it's like the charm and the charisma is just like, you're still, it's electric. You want to go out and like save the world and you feel like a million bucks. Yeah. So watching him have such a positive impact on the people around him was mm-hmm. always something that I knew to be special about my dad. Yeah, and I
0: mean, I must admit, I mean, I haven't known him for that long, uh, but very quickly when I when I met him and I, I sort of experienced that, I, I think I asked a question that probably most people ask, and, uh, is is and they go, is he is he always like that? Is, is that uh-huh. you know? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and everybody says, yeah, that's what he's yeah. like. What you see is what you get twenty four seven, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Definitely. Okay. I think that's one of my most commonly asked questions also. People yeah, really yeah like I can that. imagine. Yeah,
0: yeah. exactly. <laughs> because you said it's sort of too good to be true, you know. Like. Totally. <laughs> um, I once heard you, you mentioned gathering, and um, I think it was my first gathering that I went to uh, in Vegas, and I heard you speaking on stage, and you were talking about privilege. And I thought you had a really good take on how you keep your children and maybe even yourself connected to the fact that with good fortune comes responsibility. Can you talk about that? Because it's sort of like, you know, the car story, you know, there must be, it must be difficult to get a balance, especially as a mum when you want to give your, your children everything, but at the same time, you don't want to spoil them. It's not really a question. It's sort of like, you know, can you, can you sort of talk about that? Because I, I, I remember sitting in the audience listening to you talk about that, and I thought, wow, that is, you know, as a dad with with four kids, I thought mm-hmm. what a what a great take that you've got on all that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's very easy for me to speak to because it's something my husband and I speak about all day long. Um, I think that our, for us, it's so important that our kids – be grounded and feel good about themselves for all the right reasons. And I think that a fear we have is that our kids, like so many kids that grew up in this area or in this world, you don't grow up with the same level of self-esteem if you don't feel competence in yourself and your ability, and you don't feel confidence in yourself and your ability. So for us, it's really important to make sure the kids are grounded in the sense that they, they do their laundry, they clean their rooms, they volunteer, they don't go and play before their responsibilities are done. Life lessons that you need because we're not trying to raise necessarily happy kids who get whatever they want. We're trying to raise good, confident adults who are going to do good things for the world. So with that in mind, that's how we frame our parenting and keep them grounded. It's you know, it's a funny saying in our house, whenever my son in particular, who's 12. And apparently, I'm the strictest person alive. So whenever they (laughs) say back to us, you guys are so strict, everyone else has a blank or everyone else gets to blank. My favorite response is you are welcome. You're welcome for loving you so much that I'm willing to tell you no, and have you be mad at me because I know that it's better for you. Yeah. So I I don't feel a whole lot of guilt about not giving them whatever they want, but you do have, it's hard to balance it when you're in a world where most parents do. Yeah. That's, that is where it gets tricky because you're like, mm. he is the only kid who's not blank. But one mm. day you'll thank me when we're at the Thanksgiving table in 30 years and you've got kids, you're going to thank me. I know yeah. it. I, I, so.
0: I agree. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I think, I think that having the opportunity to give them everything must be, you know, must be hard to stop yourself sometimes, you know, when it's easy to do, when it's easy to give them a yeah. you know, blank, whatever it is, it, it yeah. must be hard sometimes to, I mean, the easy thing is just to give it whatever it is, you know, Yeah. Uh, but you pay a price for it later on in some shape or form. Yeah. So
1: It's also hard to not do that for yourself because what we do for ourselves yeah. is an example for our kids. Yeah. So there are times I'm like, oh, we could make this one lifestyle change and things would be so much easier. We're like, but, do we want that lifestyle change for our whole family? No.
0: Yeah. Sure. So you
1: do have to weigh that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, talking about the company for a bit, um, as far as I'm aware, John Paul Mitchell Systems is the only big hair care company that is still privately owned. Uh, big one. You know, there's lots of mm-hmm. minnows around. Um, and I know that JP obviously could have sold it many times over. So, so mm-hmm. why has he? why has he never done that?
1: We still could sell it. We have standing offers all the time. Yeah. Uh, The reason why we don't sell it is simple. Um, Principle. We said early on that we would always stay within the professional hair care industry, that we would always Mm. look out for our people. And we know that we can't possibly sell it to someone who's going to give us that guarantee. So it's Mm. a no brainer. We've actually never mulled over an offer ever. Mm. It's pretty simple. I think one time years ago, he got an offer and they're like, we'll stay, you know, um, professional, we'll stay professional. We'll do this. We'll do that. And he's like, okay, great. You got to put in the contract that you'll never go retail. And he's like, "Wow, well, like we can't really put in the contract. And he was like, Oh, then we don't need to talk about it. Yeah. Simple hmm. as that.
0: Well, I, I think that degree of integrity and stuff is what sets the company apart. Um, yeah. you know, and, and the culture, um, you know, I've been in the industry for a long time and, you know, been inside many big corporate multinational offices and their the corporate values are always sort of, you know, framed on the wall, so to speak, but inevitably they don't always live up to them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just because it's in print doesn't mean they actually live it. it. It's more like sort of corporate wallpaper that the the HR department or something have come up with. And... When I started working with you guys, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to the boss's mm-hmm. daughter, you know, that the thing that just, like, it, it's the culture. You know, it's like you 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 you're in there, and you go, this culture is extraordinary. So. Talk about that! Like, w- what sits behind such a different culture that you have as a company? You know, because it's a it's a big multinational company, and in your head office in Century City, I don't know how many people are working in there—hundred odd people or whatever—every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but, but the culture that exists there is unlike anything that I've ever seen. So so yeah, just talk to that for a bit.
1: It really is a really special company. That culture and that energy is rare, and you almost can't describe it or explain it. But it all starts with the founders. You know, you gave an interesting example of being in corporate offices where the ethos are on the wall, but they don't really practice them. Our company started out the total opposite. We had nothing in writing. It was just their good word that they wouldn't. And they have stuck with that. And you don't see that stuff up on our walls. It's just Mm -hmm. how we live. For us, it's not We don't think about corporate strategy when it comes to ethics. It's just our principles guide everything we do and everything else follows. So it's just who we are. It's just the DNA that we were born with. It started out with two great men, John Paul and with Paul, and we've just carried it on. I think they planted a really special seed and it's been able to grow into something spectacular. And it's encouraging people that are like-minded and of that same great energy to come into the company as well. I think we're definitely getting back what we put out.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And you, you definitely have incredible retention of good Mm -hmm. people. Don't you? I mean, amazing. We do the best. uh, And they would sort of, you know, walk over hot coals for you every morning. Um, from what from what I see, you know the level of of love and belief and like they They're seriously amazing. drink the Kool Aid. They yeah. it's their company. You know they love it. They eat, sleep, and breathe it, which is, is yeah. incredible to see. So, um, about the culture, how does it evolve? Because the company is um, Harold forty years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, forty this so, year how does it evolve with different generations like like what do people want today like now that you're the the vice chairman and stuff how does it how does the culture change because you know different generations have different expectations etc mm-hmm. so so just just talk to that how does it not get stuck where it was it's still so modern and You know, it's not stuck in the past, but it's got all the good values of the past, but it's continually evolving and changing.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's my job, right, is to keep the ethos of the company and the principles of who we are, while also in this ever-changing form of what we can offer to the industry and to the consumers, too, because that always has to evolve. Um, I think another thing that people or companies get hung up on is thinking of something as a one-time adaptation you can't just adapt for now. You have to be thinking about how is this step going to affect 20 steps from now? And if Mm. this is happening in the market now, what's happening 20 years from now? Because we need to set ourselves up for that. I'm a very long-term thinker in that way. Mm. So for me, we keep evolving and I'll give you a perfect example, which is e-commerce. I fought tooth and nail for years, a really, really long time to try to get us involved in e-commerce and Amazon. Because I knew there was a way to do it where we could help the industry. And the simple fact is, and I think this is what made it click for John Paul, is I'm like, there's so much diversion online right now that these tens of millions of dollars should be going to salons from this one particular website. But they're not. They're not going to stylists or distributors. They're Mm -hmm. going straight out of the industry and into a diverter. So what we can do is no, of course, we're not going to cut out our industry and just go straight retail. But what I can do is kick the diverters off Amazon, for example. We could kick the diverters off, only allow our stylists and people to sell on there, structure a deal where there are two income opportunities in addition to the commission that they automatically make. And we can recoup those sales and we can give them back to the people who should get them. I mean, we obviously have nothing to do with diverted product, And we've spent countless amounts of time and money trying to fight it. But at the end of the day, the only people that profit from it are the diverters and us. Somehow, someone bought it from us somehow along the way and had it, you know, diverted to someone else. And that's not right. I'd rather take that and give it to the people who should be getting it. So it's not about changing your principles. It's just about finding new ways to communicate those principles in the relevant current landscape. So. I can still adapt and be on e-comm and feed the industry. I can still drive people into a salon by being on digital or on social. It's finding a way to have the current situation better amplify your principles. So that's what it was for me. I'm like, okay, we could look at it as, E commerce one, we're just going to go with that because that's where things are. And sorry, the business will just, you know, go under if we don't. Or we could say e commerce is actually a fantastic opportunity for us to drive people into salons and to remind them of how important it is to have that connection. We're not selling hair color, we can't sell haircuts, but we can say, you know what? My salon partner over here, this stylist, he, he can't carry a hundred SKUs in his salon, but I can give him this code where he can share it with his team and say, you know what? I really, I recommend this product for you. Click right here and get it. And they'll have it at their house the next day. This woman or man didn't have to carry that excess inventory. And they just made the same commission off of it. In some cases, even more. Yeah, exactly. It's all about adapt, 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 and innovate. You know, people said, oh, like you guys, so great. that You guys adapted to... E commerce. I'm like, you know, I choose to see it as we really innovated e commerce in our industry because we were the first, and to my understanding, still to this day, the only ones who have a structure that we have where it actually gives back to the industry.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I think hairdressers were. Or and even are still because I know I don't know if you know well I'm sure you know this uh, it's only in Amazon in the US whereas Amazon UK Amazon mm-hmm. Australia etc that same model doesn't exist at this point in time I dare say in the mm-hmm. future uh, that that uh, that it may very well because uh, yeah. e-commerce is a reality it's not about to go mm-hmm. away there's only be- going to become more of it not less of it absolutely so, you know it's sort of about that and talking about generations and different ways of thinking you know i'm a i'm a a baby boomer your your dad i'm assuming is a baby boomer um you i'm assuming are a millennial uh you've Mm -hmm. got three children two of which are gen z so what i want to ask you about is talking about the cultural thing You know, we often hear people, you know, talk with great authority about different generations and the needs and expectations of millennials and Gen Z and Mm -hmm. how different they all are, etc. And and as you said, that's sort of part of your job to, to you know, sort of shepherd, maybe is the right word, uh, those changing cultures within the business. So I suppose I want to ask you about, and and actually we can't separate COVID from this. I'm sort of asking about how are working. Styles changing with each different generation, and how do you think that COVID is going to impact on the way that you go about your work? You know, head office, for example, Century City, there's normally a hundred odd people there. I imagine for the last eight months, there's been three or four people in there,
1: yeah. And we're all
0: learning, we're all learning to work in different ways. So, whether we're Mm -hmm. talking about generational changes. Because it would have happened anyway, all this online learning and uh, and working more, you know, um, remotely, it would have happened. But what would have happened in in ten or twenty years has happened in eight months so far. So it's yeah. sort of intriguing to see how w- the world is going to adapt to that. H- how is JPMS sort of adapting to that?
1: So we're adapting to it. And it's true. You really can't separate it from COVID because COVID is kind of the kick in the pants that the world got to make everyone get on this digital land that we all live on now. So, you know, obviously, we, of course, adapted to everyone working remotely from home. And one of our new principles at work, actually, is that anybody, if they're able to do their work from home, they can now apply with their supervisor. And then it gets approved by them, approved by upper management if they do want to spend most of their time working remotely, uh, something I was really surprised by was our, um, the amount of work being done just skyrocketed. I mean, the productivity went up so much post COVID when everyone was working from home and we can track productivity by department, by person, by this. And overall, it was phenomenal. I mean, people stepped up for us in a time when we were all trying to, navigate through a brand new situation. I know I didn't even... I wasn't even on a proper time zone for months because we're in so many countries. It was like a a 3am call, a 6pm call, 11. I mean, it was all just a fog. But so was the team. Like The team was putting in so much and they were talking more and productivity was up and the vibes were good and people were really embracing the change in a way that made me very, very, very proud. And it's interesting you bring up the generational thing because I think that a lot of the older generations were very much against working from home and flexible work schedules because, you know, we have and I say we because mentally I I feel like I relate to that work ethic so much. You get up, you get dressed for work, you go to the office, you have a schedule, you stay at a company for a long time. It's very different for millennials and Gen Z. And I think that the older generations have now seen the value in this remote learning and the the digital space, remote working. And the younger generations, I think, have now also seen the value of having that work ethic to commit to a company and to really invest yourself there. Because I think the average span at a company for a millennial is something like two years. It's a very quick turnaround. They jump around a lot. And suddenly, something like COVID happens, which you think could never happen. And there's layoffs everywhere. And then companies are changing and furloughs. And suddenly, those generations might think to themselves, maybe it is a good idea to to put some roots down somewhere. Like Maybe I should Mm -hmm. care about the retirement plan. Oh, wow, this all could change. I can't just you know, jump around as much as I'd like, because as we've seen the full epidemic happened and it changed everything. Mm. So in an interesting way, I think this has afforded the opportunity to different generations to see things from the other side. Yeah, And I do think we will come out of this better. And I'm hoping that we're finding ways to be productive and to be more efficient. But I, I, my hope and prayer as a parent and just as a citizen of the world is that we don't get so seduced by convenience that we lose the connection piece. Yeah. Because the human connection piece is so important. And I can just, you see, it's a slippery slope. It's really easy to just shoot the email instead of have the phone call to Mm. just, you know, shoot your friend a text instead of having the conversation to email your salons and just in a big group and see how everyone's doing. Yeah. Take the time, pick up the phone and make a call, have the connection, Mm. connect with your friends, you know, not just through video games, go take a walk.
0: Yeah, now I know. Um, I don't know if our audience realizes I'm in London, you're in uh Los Angeles at the moment, and I don't know if they can hear it, but there's a torrential thunderstorm going on outside. Uh, all I can hear is the rain on the windows, and I'm I
1: just, can't uh, hear it at all.
0: You can't hear it right, okay. I'm just wondering if the microphone's picking it up, and people are thinking, What's all that noise mm-hmm. in the background? There's no thunder, but there's rain that's been like <laughs> lashing against the window, so anyway, um. Picking up on what you were just talking about with the, the whole, you know, the COVID thing, I mean, we've had this crazy year, I mean, every, everywhere, and it shows no sign of finishing at the moment. Um, and the world's going through these really challenging times with COVID and the financial knock-on effect. And then the social unrest and the, the Black Lives Matter, racism. Um, and this is this is all a global issue. It's not just confined to the mm-hmm. US. and. I know, you know, being on the inside, you know, working with you, that that JPMS were incredibly quick out of the starting gate with a range of support programs for their internal team uh, mm-hmm. and the industry, uh, and not just the industry, but also first responders and the, the wider community yeah. at large. Can you give us an overview of the company's approach and what the company's approach has been? to to get through this in the last eight months?
1: Uh, We were very quick to respond when COVID first hit. There wasn't a whole lot of time to stop and really mull over too much. We just knew we had to get straight into action. And it was actually Jason Yates who had the great idea for the um, Salon Jumpstart Stimulus Program and gathering. He said on, I think, day one, he was like, okay, what if we take that what if we invest over here and we give a jump start for salons perfect loved it it was absolutely right up our alley because once again i'm thinking about the future so mm-hmm. for me how can we scramble and do all that we can right now so that we can equip our customers and our salon partners with something that will help them when they reopen it's not about the handout it's about the hand up so hey here are products here are things to get you started this is free income, essentially, and you can get moving again. And more so than that, in so many of the testimonials we got, people opened that box, because it was a surprise. And they just felt not alone. I mean, Mm. that was a really big, I think, takeaway for a lot of people that were a part of that stimulus program is to just think, wow, these people have been thinking about me, and working around the clock to get this done for me, like that's what they've been doing this whole time. And I think that's gotta be a really nice feeling to know that you are a part of a family who's here for you and not part of a company who's strictly looking at numbers and trying to separate their problems or their deficits from yours. Yeah. You know, we're very much a community. So it was an opportunity once again to just it wasn't even a thought. We just had to step up and do and do right by our people. And I'm very proud of what the team did to get that accomplished.
0: Yeah, for for uh, our non-American audience, the gathering is an event that uh, John Paul Mitchell Systems do every year uh, or every second year um, in Las Vegas, and there's like three thousand plus hairdressers attend it. So um, you know, there's there's we're talking millions of dollars that millions of dollars, yeah, yeah. So that's amazing. And then when the Black Lives Matter. Um, you know the protests and everything were happening, and I know there were riots in in, in Los Angeles, as there were here in, in in London and other cities, etc. Um, the company responded to that again in a in a, a way, didn't they? They sort of like, okay, what does this mean to us? Like, you know, everyone was sort of looking inward. That, well, what yeah. are we doing? How are we addressing this? Um, mm-hmm. can, you, can you talk to that for a minute? How that's affected or impacted or made you, you know, question how you as a brand, you know, do business and, and how, how you need to evolve uh, or, or do you need to evolve in any areas to, to, to get better at that?
1: Absolutely. So anytime that anything comes up, whether it's a huge social movement or whether it's just a mention in a meeting, I think it's always not only an opportunity but a responsibility as a big company to take that and look inward. When Black Lives Matter, the movement started, we've always been inclusive. we it's not even it's never not been a part of our DNA to be discriminatory in any way to any kind of person. So the initial thought was, Oh, of course, black lives matter. Like we love every kind of person. We would never leave any kind of person out and we do. And all of that is very true. Hmm. But in talking to some of the people that were on different sides of it, we really learned, Oh, wow. There's actually opportunity for us to not just be good people, as it is, but there's an opportunity for us to use our voice and our position to bring awareness to things and to continue to try to encourage that gap and that division. So that was an interesting um, eye-opener for us. As far as our model images and things like that, that most companies were hit with, that wasn't something that came up for us because, again, we've always been very inclusive. Mm. But when you look at our curriculum in schools... We're like, wow, textured hair is a a separate thing. Like textured hair is a special kind of hair that you have to learn how to do. Like, how did we miss that? You're right. That's absolutely divisive. So there were things like that where us thinking, oh, of course, we believe that too. There are things that you find in your own company and in your own life even that you just, you don't even equate the two. So that was really important for us because... We always want to practice what we preach. And if there's opportunity for us to do that, and to really, you know, walk the walk, we have to be open at looking at everything. We can't just say, Oh, we're already doing it. We need nothing. And yeah, we're already doing it. But everyone needs something. Yeah, so we yeah. assessed every aspect of the company.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, you know, from an outsider looking in or from an insider looking even further in, it it, it was impressive to see the sort of the vulnerability to be able to look at yourself and go, what can we do better here?
1: Yeah. You
0: know, how can, how can we address these things? And it's, it's, it's really quite amazing. And, you know, just the other day I was on a webinar and I, I was talking about the culture at JPMS and someone said, so what is it that makes it so different? And I, I was trying to describe it and I, and, and I, I remember, saying some, remember saying something about how it's because it's a privately owned company, it's a family company that you get mm-hmm. real human values. You know, yeah. it, it, it's not a stock market listed company where you're reporting no. to the shareholder; you're you're reporting to your yourself, your own humanity, and you know, what are we doing the right mm-hmm. things in the world. Um, uh, and, and talking about that, the whole giving back and philanthropy uh, issue, I, I know that that is a huge part. I mean, that's basically what your dad does now, isn't it? I mean, he yeah. he, he gives away stuff. And yeah. I know he's supporting <laughs> so many different, um, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word charities, but I know he supports so many different organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, can you Can you talk to us about why that's so important? Not just to your family. But to the company, because you are very philanthropic.
1: It's just what we do. It's just in our DNA. I think that we have a major obligation, first of all, if you want to... Dad frames it really well. He's like, it's your rent that you pay for being on this planet. I mean, all of us owe it to the planet and the people in it and the animals and the nature that's in it to give back and to be mindful of our impact on them and to support and help flourish any way we can. Yeah. So for me, it's just kind of a no brainer part of our DNA, personally and on a corporate level. Mm. But it's also increasingly important to do that for these younger generations that are coming up. I mean, it's Mm. they didn't have to, COVID aside, they didn't have to see the same hardships and go through the Great Depression. They didn't have to really see what it takes to get here and have the appreciation for that and therefore feel, wow, I'm so grateful, I too need to give back. So it's really important now more than ever, that we instill those values in our kids. Mm. Because giving back and supporting all different kinds of people and just having a mindful awareness of what your impact is or isn't, is really important. I mean, we have a saying with our kids, we don't give back, we live back Mm -hmm. Because it's not about just writing a check or sending something. It's about incorporating that into your life and your way of life and how you think and what you do and how you act all throughout the day, every day.
0: Yeah. How much of that is because of your dad's, um, early life? I mean, he had a tough upbringing and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's come from nothing and he has turned himself into this, you know, self-made billionaire, um, I mean, that must have had a huge influence on his giving back. I, I love that story. I mean, I heard you telling the story. I've heard it a few times, but every time it still puts a lump in my throat uh, about your dad in the restaurant. Um, oh, and paying, paying God, the God, that bill. story
1: kills me. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: look, I, I know a friend of mine uh, who listened to that story in the movie Good Fortune, and mm-hmm. uh, it made him cry, but it also I- made him it made him decide that is the company that I want to work with. The company has oh. that I want to be involved because it's a great well, that's story.
1: Nice to hear. Well, yeah. it,
0: it's it's the humanity of it. It's a story, but it sums up the whole ethos of the company and of the man. Mm. You know, uh, and 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 I love it. So now we're going to have to tell it. <laughs> so. <It's- laughs> It's over to
1: you. Okay. So the story is, and it's funny you said that because anyone that's watched the film Good Fortune Mm -hmm. that I've encountered has said the same thing. They're like, You made me cry when you shared that story about your dad in the restaurant. So how it was, this is decades ago, long before John Paul was John Paul Dejoria, far before the successes started rolling in. But he had enough to pay for his meal. He had some leftover. His bills were caught up. So he was on cloud nine. He was just cruising. He's in a restaurant and he notices a mom with kids and she's reading the menu down the right side and then looking left. She's basically looking to see what the cheapest items were and then telling her kids what they could order. And he notices this like out of the side of his eye, he's watching this happen. And then he ends up, he pays for her meal and says please don't tell this woman who paid for it, but I would like to pay for her meal. Like, you know, tell her to order whatever she wants, take some extra to go for the kids, like just one good deed to another. So then she, you know, the waitstaff translates that message over to her and she or relays it to her. She stands up in the restaurant and is like, whoever did this, thank you so much. And she's got tears and the kids are all excited and he never said it was him. He was just like, God, the high that you get just seeing the sheer joy on someone's face that someone wanted to do something nice for them, that someone saw them was just... You know, he always says, oh, it's the best high you can get. And I lived through the 60s. So he, <laughs> <he's> <laughs> like <laughs> for him, he's like, I can tell you firsthand, giving back is definitely the best feeling that you can find out there. It's, it's the highest of all elation. So yeah, it yeah. was just a really, I have a feeling that that moment probably stuck with the woman and those kids. Yeah. Forever. Like that's something yeah. that those kids will now carry forward too. And it's mm. just, he just saw her. It was so Mm. simple. He saw her and he understood and he saw an opportunity to just do a little something that made her day that much better. Mm. It had an impact on their life, maybe. You know, we're not alone.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It, it, you just mentioned the movie "Good Fortune." For anyone who doesn't know about the movie "Good Fortune," it's it's a movie about John Paul's life, and you can get it on Netflix. I highly, uh, highly recommend that you search it out. Um, and in that movie, there's you, you become aware of how many organizations that John Paul you know contributes to in in a huge way, financial way, massive way. Um, what I wanted to ask you is, do you have a favorite? You personally, do you have a favorite organization that you support that you go, I am so glad that we put our money, um, you know, and our so time many. into that organization?
1: So many, I, I really, I don't think there are any organizations we have that I don't love, but, um, really close to my heart. I'd say baby to baby is big. I'm on their executive board. I served on their board of angels. Um, we're very involved in them. They aren't, they, um, they deliver necessary items to children zero through 12 diapers, cribs, you know, it could be, God, we're partnered now with over 60 different partner organizations and we are partnering with organizations in other States and it could be the children's hospital. It could be yeah. LA unified school district. There's just, there's so much need for so many kids. Mm-hmm. And I really like that we can be involved in different kinds of organizations and organizations that help different populations of people. Yeah. You know, it's very um they have big white arms, which is nice. There's no kids don't get turned away. It doesn't matter what church you're from, what brought you there, what the issue is. We have social workers that come shopping in the warehouse constantly. Mm. Constantly. All day. It's devastating to see that there is such a need, but yeah. it's nice to have a place where they can just come and say, we just had to remove a kid from their home and they have school tomorrow. Here's the backpack. Here's clothes, here's shoes. Here's mm-hmm. this, here's that. Done. There's, yeah. we are, we're here for you and therefore here for the kids. Yeah. So that one I'm probably the closest to and the most passionate about. Uh, also because I'm a mom, I think yeah. the kid thing really hits home for me, but um, environmental is also really, really important that, has an impact for me sea shepherd is incredible pro yeah. appalachia is a fantastic concept water keepers reforest action i mean there's so many yeah there are so many there's a lot That's of right. good people out there doing a lot yeah. of good work
0: yeah yeah okay um let's talk about leadership for a moment you know you're, you're a leader um in a big way in the community and in a business etc what are some of the hurdles that you've had to overcome
1: me personally, I think my biggest hurdles were, you know, kind of the elephant in the room. I was the boss's kid. I was mm. young. I'm a female. So mm. those are three strikes that aren't necessarily <laughs> in your favor when you, <laughs> when you go try to run a company of hundreds of people, most of yeah. which are older than you, some quite a mm. bit older than you. And a lot of them have actually seen you since you've been in diapers. It's really yeah. hard to make that transition over. Okay. Um, so those were my hurdles. And I think there's nothing you can do other than living your true self that can overcome mm-hmm. that. And for me, I sincerely do have a fierce work ethic. I really do have this job out of the sheer, most genuine desire to take care of these people and this industry that's given so much for us. It's mm-hmm. a very selfless kind of love that I have for this job and you just you know you prove it you have the conversations with the team you make mistakes you say when you don't know something you listen to people when they talk you treat them well i don't i've never thought of myself as a boss i do consider myself a leader but a boss just never it just didn't fit for me like i wasn't trying to overcome hurdles so that i could be a good boss I was overcoming hurdles so that I could earn the trust of these people that I love so much so that we could mm-hmm. collaborate and do great things together. Yeah. And, you know, over time, they just, well, you they do get it. it. You, you've, you've achieved it's, it. Well, yeah. what, what's the
0: most important thing you've learned from your dad?
1: The most important thing I've learned from my dad, I think just the principles of giving back. Yeah. I'd have to say that's been the most life-changing take away from him the principles of giving back. Mm. And on a corporate level too is interesting going back to the Black Lives Matter. He our company is very much run like a small business even though we're a massive corporation. And his leadership style has really kind of given me permission to do the same as I've become a leader. So when Black Lives Matter happened, I don't know if you read the statement that I'd put out. Yes, I did. But yeah. to your point earlier being a small company, I mean privately owned company, we... This was a mom sitting in her bed with kids running around who just typed this email out. Like, I mean, this was just a human speaking to a world of fellow humans. And I was very honest in it. I'm like, we have had experts. We've had consultants. We have talked to every corner of the earth to try to craft this message and rework and edit. And oh, well, this person doesn't like that line. Like we tried so hard to get it right. Right. And to make sure that we were conveying how we felt in a way that wasn't going to be misinterpreted. And I woke up one day and I was like, you know what? It's just not me. It's just not us. I was like, I think that I know our heart's in the right place. And we're just really trying to make sure that we don't make anyone feel sad. Mm. But I'm like, I'm just going to write. It was almost like a journal. Like I just said, hey, everybody, this is where we're at. I know that some people aren't going to like this. Some people are, you can't win, but here's mm-hmm. where our heart is at as a company. And here's what we're going to do. And it's so fascinating because most of the response I got was very positive of the negative responses. the really interesting takeaway. And you may have to explain this because I don't know how it works um, out there. If this will translate in our government system, but half of the people said, oh my gosh, it is so obvious you're a Democrat. How dare you? And the (laughs) other half said, oh my gosh, it's so obvious you're a Republican. How dare you? And I just, that was such a good learning moment for me because I was like, wow, it really, you can't be all things to all people. Mm. The great Robert Yates taught me that long ago when I was very first at the company and it always stuck with me. But you do really learn that you can be yourself you can put it out there and people will interpret what they want to interpret no matter what you do but the overwhelming response was people just appreciated that it was genuine there was mm-hmm. even a typo in it which was i was yeah. like oh god sorry but people were like wow <laughs> you really did write it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> clearly yeah. you didn't have copywriting all over that one because they wouldn't yeah. noticed. but it, it, you know I was, i'm a mom and i Running a business, and I'm yeah. a human being who cares about people, and I just was frank. I was like, "Yeah,
0: exactly what." Well, well that sometimes you know, in any organization, when the marketing department and the PR department and, and God knows what other department get involved in something, it loses some some of its soul and some of its essence. Yeah, and typos and all. Yeah. You know, like that comes from the heart, and and there's that thing I, I I think your dad said it actually. What comes from the heart goes to the heart, and and that's the message behind it. I, I think that's yeah. I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah. Just just I, I mean I've got so many things to ask you and so little time to ask you. Um, one of the big important things about John Paul Mitchell Systems is the trust that JP has put the company in. Can you Mm -hmm. sort of summarize what that means to to people that don't know about it? What is this trust that, you know, Anthony's referring to?
1: Yes. So this trust is something, it's, God, I believe it's like a 360, 365 year trust. That was the longest trust that John Paul could find. And what it does is it solidifies his commitment and it just confirms that no one, not me, not Whoever takes over after me, not any of those people for the next 300 something years we have left can sell the company and have it go public. They can't sell the company to someone who's going to take it retail. It is guaranteed for hundreds of years that no matter who runs it, it will stay in the professional hair care industry.
0: Period. That's amazing. It's incredible.
1: Mm -hmm. That really is we really true. we love our people so much. like <laughs> yeah, yeah, this industry to a yeah. really heightened degree. I don't know if people are aware of the conversations we have behind closed doors. Yeah, but we yeah. are just endlessly a part of this awesome community,
0: yeah. um I, I know we've got to wrap up, but i I, I want to ask you uh, seven or eight questions, rapid fire. So okay. like you know a couple of word that. a couple of word answers yes, okay? it's like
1: fan okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what motivates you?
1: My kids and our team. Okay, doing uh, right by them. What's your favorite part of what you do? Oh, the people, the people, the people. hundred percent, the people. Who I get to work with and who I get to work for.
0: Yeah. The okay. Uh, if you could only give your kids one bit of advice, what would it be? Love yourself.
1: Okay. Love yourself. Yeah. Love yourself. The rest yeah. will follow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What, what's your biggest strength?
1: Being level-headed. And, I would say and, that's uh, my biggest strength. I have a good um, brain heart balance, I think, and I'm not reactive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's it a good serves thing me have. well quite yeah, often. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned in life? Professional or personal?
1: Don't be narrow minded. That's okay. my biggest lesson. I think even if you start off thinking that something is the gospel, you you have to have room to learn and hear and explore because we're, you know, we have to be fluid just like everything around us. And I think yeah. being open minded and not being quick to react or judge is major.
0: Yeah. I love that. That's great. Okay, yeah, um, you got to learn
1: that the hard way a few times, and then it really yeah, sticks with yeah. you.
0: <laughs> yeah, it comes with age too. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Um, how do you overcome adversity when things don't work out the way you want?
1: I think everything happens for a reason, so yeah. it's not hard for me to recover. Okay. All right. Well, what really do you wish? Do. What What do you wish you were better at? I wish I were better at. Being more places (laughs) at once. I wish that I were better at, God, I mean, so many things really, but I Mm -hmm. would say patience. I wish that I had more patience. My life is very much one step, next step, next step. Thinking about 20 years from now, kids Mm -hmm. here, that's kind of a whirlwind, but to stop and be patient and sit in more presence is something I wish I were better at. Yeah.
0: I think probably many people can relate to that. I certainly can. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I will put the links in the show notes for the Paul Mitchell corporate website. Um, if you're listening to this podcast with Michaeline DeGioia and have enjoyed it, then please do me a favor, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. So, to wrap up, Micheline, do you have any final words for our listeners?
1: I love you all. Even the ones I've never met the, <laughs> with all the negative stuff happening. There's also so much good to see. And I hope that we all can't lose sight of that. And no one person out there loves you today. And that person is me.
0: Good. Well, that's, that is the perfect way to finish. So, Micheline DeJoria, thank you very much for being on the Grow My on Business podcast.
1: Thank you, Anthony. This has been so much fun. We should do this every week.
0: <laughs> well, now you can say I've done a podcast. That's the first.
1: Perfect. Check bucket list. <laughs>
0: it, it, took a while, it took a while <laughs> to happen, but we got there. <laughs>
1: it all happens yeah. for a reason, though. E- Everything exactly.
0: does. Exactly. Oh. So thank you ever so much.
1: Thank you, Anthony. It's been great fun.
0: Thank you, Michael. Lee.